The Daily Rios, Episode 525, Smallville Season 3, Part 4. Hey everyone, this is your host Peter. Week 12 of The Daily Smallville, finally wrapping up Season 3 with Episodes 17 through 22. These are entitled Legacy, Truth, Memoria, Talisman, Forsaken, and Covenant, as well as the Smallville comic issues number 7 and 8 and Season 2 of the Chloe Chronicles. I'm recording this episode on October 16th, 2021, which is the 20th anniversary of Smallville's premiere back on October 16th, 2001. Now, had everything gone as planned, I would be done with the Daily Smallville by now. Wah, wah. We carry on. Today was also DC Fandom 2021, and there was a small Smallville reunion segment with Tom Welling and Michael Rosenbaum, as well as video messages from other alums of the series. There is an extended chat on YouTube. I will post a link in the show notes. Also, a shout out to Matthias C., who gave me a heads up about a Hollywood Reporter article for the 20th anniversary of Smallville, and it was basically an oral history of Smallville uh, with Aaron Couch, and I will link that as well in the show show notes. Now, from that article, two things uh, that I learned. Jensen Ackles was up for Clark Kent, and Zach Levi was up for Lex Luthor. How about that? Right? That would have been an interesting dynamic. General thoughts for this season three started out pretty strong with the first five episodes. Episodes six through ten, not so much. Then we hit episodes 11 through 16. That was a mixed batch of episodes. And now I felt we got a good return to a solid run of episodes that uh, were interesting and moved the story, which makes sense because they're the last six episodes of the season, right? Plus, with all of these episodes, episodes 17 through 22, I think I finally got an idea about what this entire season could be about thematically, although it does come pretty late in the season. So I'll talk about that later. General thoughts about the five episodes themselves, or six episodes. Um, We get a really great episode to start with, a not-so-good episode, another decent episode, another, you know, kind of decent episode, and then the final two episodes that close out the season, they work together, which is very similar to how this season started, where... Uh, This season opened with a two-parter as well, so it kind of, there's a nice bookend there. I still feel like season one is my favorite episode. Season two follows, you know, pretty quickly behind that, and then season three in third place so far. 
Let's talk about a few holdover questions from other seasons. We get a few that are answered. So I've been seeing here and there this notion that Lana was getting this kind of wanderlust and she wanted to get away from Smallville. And that is something that comes up in these episodes that I'm going to talk about. Also, uh, after the events of the episode of Asylum, where Lionel put Lex into Belle Reve, uh, I, I made a, an, a notion, an idea that I feel like Lionel really has stepped over into the evil version of his character. And I was like, okay, there is no turning back. And then there was also, uh, you know, some idea about what is this experiment or what is going on with Lionel. Obviously, we already found that out, that he's dying. So this notion that there is no turning back for Lionel has been strengthened here at the end of this season with the cliffhanger. And in season four, there really just can be no doubt of his character, of how people relate to him. There should just be no more questions, right? He's evil. That's it. And we get a few more, we get another kind of um, boundary crossing or or line in the sand, right? With, a, with some other things that I'll talk about later. Uh, and then we did get a, a question answered from season two. What happens with the cloning aspect from the Accelerate episode where Lana's little childhood friend with super speed was back and she was a clone and she was kind of crazy. Uh, we get a, a, a sequel to that episode and the whole notion of cloning is something that is going to continue through Smallville. So let's jump in. As I said, I'm also going to talk about a few comics. We're going to start right away with the Smallville magazine comic issue 7, which was released between episodes 16 and 17. Uh, there are two stories in here, both by Clint Carpenter. One is called Chronicle, one is called Parenthood. There's an article about the visual effects. Uh, there's a guide for Smallville Season 2 for the episodes. And there's a little uh, one-page uh, historical thing on Ezra Small, who apparently founded Smallville, and it's called Voices from the Future, and it's some kind of code that you can you can read because it's all just numerical substitution, and it seems like it talks about meteors from the sky and, and things like that, and it's written by Christopher James Beppo, which I thought, well, that's interesting, Beppo. We have a Beppo on Superman and Lois right now, right? Uh, so... Very curious. Um, so Chronicle is by Clint Carpenter, Tom Derenick on art, Adam DeCracker, Guy Major, Rob Lee. It's basically a continuation of the Volume 1 Chloe Chronicles, the story that was in there that was centered around uh, Earl Jenkins from the Jitters episode all the way in Season 1, and everything to do with Level 3 at Luther Corps. So it's a continuation of that story. So it's kind of interesting because you got the Chloe Chronicles, which were webisodes, feeding into the comic. Then this story will feed into back into volume two of the webisodes and then also into the next comic as well. It's kind of fun. Um, the second story is a cute story uh, where the Kents struggle with all of the mishaps that happen because of Clark's powers and how they have to find ways to pay for it. So that's Parenthood, also by Clint Carpenter, drawn by Tom Grummet and uh, Kevin Conrad, Trish Mulvihill, Rob Lay. 
So that was fun. I enjoyed that that story a lot. Actually, it was, it was nice to see Tom Grummet's artwork, uh, and and having to play around with some likenesses, but but it still really is Tom Grummet, right? So that was it. That's really all I got from that comic. So now we dig into the episodes themselves, starting off with Legacy. This is the 17th episode. I gave this just a flat five. It is a really good episode. So back at the farm, after his most recent heart attack, Pa Kent gets used, gets used again by Jor-El, who is sending him messages through the key, through the key to the ship. And this all has to do with the deal from the top of the season between Pa Kent and Jor-El. And it's a deal that Clark wants to end. Uh, we have uh, We go to Lionel, who decides not to shoot himself after last episode's cliffhanger. And he renews his research into the caves, giving us great scenes with Lex, with Clark, and even with Dr. Swan, who makes an appearance again. Good old Christopher Reeve. Um, Lex continues to help the FBI investigate Lionel. Uh, Lana is just about ready to give up uh, her relationship with Clark. And we get the first match the first brawl between Pa Kent and Pa Luthor. It's really great. This was a really good episode, you know. It has a lot to do. It has to try to make sense of every new aspect of the Smallville origin and all of the mythos uh, that they're layering on top of the show. And that just can't be easy because it's the caves and it's the ship and it's the key Jor-El, The Deal, Virgil Swan, all those messages from the ship, right? It's all kind of converging in this episode, and in fact in all of these episodes, which is really great. And it feels like we are at a new place, uh, at a new place um, among the journey that Clark is taken, but taking, but also between the fathers, whether it's Pa Kent and Jor-El, whether it's uh, Pa Kent and Lionel. There's a lot of crisscrossing going on. And characters can't come back from all of this knowledge. And I hope the writers remember this in season four. All right, so a couple more notes about this episode. Most of the premise of this episode comes out in the prologue. You can already tell something's going on with Pa Kent. He calls Clark Kal-El, which immediately says to Ma and Clark that something is off. And later, Jonathan says to Jor-El, you said there would be more time. Time for what? Right? It was like, what? What's that about? Uh, I, I got the sense that Jonathan was feeling his mortality and that maybe this deal had something to do with his life, right? Like, that's a given, right? He already had a heart attack. He had powers that his body couldn't handle. You know the history of both the Kents or Pa Kent, you know, so you know it's coming, right? But you really got that sense with this episode. He is reevaluating all of his choices, and he's not quite the strong Pa Kent that he usually is, which is good. Um, and I took note, you know, Pa Kent is supposed to be older, right? Um, but with Smallville, you know, they, they want to make it modern so everybody's kind of fresh and young and whatever. John Schneider is 44 in 2004, or at, at least at the time of this uh, episode. So 
he is younger than I am now. <laughs> Which I was like, okay, that's weird. All right, so Clark wants to do something about this deal. And in all of his rash young behavior, he does decide to do something. He goes to the caves. He practically offers himself to Jor-El. And this leads to a scene with Lionel, who comes in to all of his scenes with knowledge and subtext. He is so good in these episodes. He wants to solve the mysteries of the universe, right? Because as I said, he's dying. In a later scene with Lex, Lionel is trying to connect all these dots and he's trying to get Lex involved, right? Clark and the caves and the symbols on the barn and just everything, right? It's a really great kind of urgency for Lionel where he's trying to bring Lex into this. And for once, Lionel is not trying to be Lionel, you know? It's so good. It's so good. But of course, Lex isn't involving himself because he is with the FBI now and he's trying to find dirt on Lionel and he's got a wiretap on him. So that scene between Clark and Lionel is really good. They have a discussion about fathers and sons, about how weak Pa must seem to Clark right now. And you can just tell Lionel's talking about himself. And then Lionel says to Clark, after all, you only get one father. And I thought, oh, really? Hmm, don't you know? Yeah, he's got two. Uh, a really good scene in this episode between Lionel and Virgil, between Jonathan Glover and Christopher Reeve, between a Superman and a Luther. It's very compelling, very well acted. Uh, and John Glover kind of plays this scene uh, in a subdued manner. And I was thinking, now, is that because Lionel respects Swan, or is it John Glover respecting Christopher Reeve, right, that the two of them get to be in the scene together? I didn't even look up that they may have done a play together, right? I mean, they both were actors in movies and plays, so I wondered if they ever uh, performed before. I should have looked that up. But it's a really great scene. Virgil can tell that John, that Lionel is dying and uh, that Lionel knows a lot about the caves and that they could help each other, so they strike a deal. And again, this all swirls around Clark and the cave and why they both are going after these answers. And I, I guess you have to imagine that Swan recognizes in Lionel something about himself, right? He has to know what is going on because, who knows, maybe it could help Swan, too, right? You have to remember, Christopher Reeve is in a wheelchair at this time, so the character of Swan has that same situation. Maybe he thinks something could, could come out of all this. I, I really feel like this episode is worth it for that scene alone. Clark and Virgil have a scene together. Uh, Virgil is uh, talking about Clark's destiny, wondering if he's ready or not. It feels very much like Jor-El. Apparently, there's another message. I was like, what? Uh, and this one is, I am waiting. And, but it's a message that originated on Earth, and it's not for Clark. It's for Jonathan, so it has something to do with Jor-El. We get uh, the beginning of Lana confiding in Lex, and it made me think, yeah, you know, she doesn't really have anyone. She has no aunt. She's gone. She has no parent. She can't talk to Chloe about Clark. And she's on her own. And she's only, what, 16, 17? So now she's starting to confide in Lex. And I'm starting to see seeds of where this is going to go. As I mentioned, we get 
Pa versus Lionel, round one in the caves. It's a great fight. It has stunt doubles, but it also has the two of them. It is so good. It is so good. Um, Lionel says to Pa, there exists in this world some, some things that are too valuable to be the sole possession of any one person. And I, I was like, oh, you know, that's a sentiment you hear a lot from Lois when she's trying to balance her time and her romance with Clark, who is also Superman, right? And she has to share Superman with the rest of the world. So I thought that was an interesting bit of dialogue that could mean a whole bunch of things. Um, at the end of the fight, as Clark runs in, Jonathan has Lionel in a chokehold, and Clark pulls him off, and Pa says, it's the only way I know you're safe. Where I was like, okay. Pa Kent was ready to kill Lionel. He was ready to choke him to death, snap his neck. He was ready to off Lionel. That's why he said, it's the only way I know you're safe. There's no other definite, there's no other explanation to that ending and that bit of dialogue. Like, there's no other interpretation. He was going to kill Lionel. I'm saying it. I saw it. Don't go by your memory. Go watch that scene again. Because later on in the episode, Clark says to Pa, you know, he, he basically says, your actions go against everything you warn me about. Um, yeah, I, I was like, whoa. I mean, this is a very desperate Pa Kent that we have in this episode, right? Between the heart attack and things with Jor-El, the deal, he feels his mortality closing in, he's running out of time. The only way he knows he can save Clark from Lionel is to kill him. And that is exactly what was going to happen in that moment had Clark not shown up. So nobody's going to convince me otherwise on that one. Um, the key go, goes back in the wall. Uh, a, a lot of this fight and a lot of this dialogue, I started to think, oh, see, well, where it's going to go wrong is Lionel is going to now 100% believe that Clark is absolutely a part of this, right? Why else would Pa defend him that strongly? Or why else would Pa do what he did? So it's like, yeah, yeah. What, what Clark says is true. Now we're both in Lionel's sights. So, so good. Such a good last couple scenes there. And then the episode ends where we find out that Virgil has the key. Ugh, good episode, good episode. In contrast to that really great episode, we get episode 18, Truth, which I gave a 2.5 to a 3. It is not the worst episode of the season or the series to date, but um, it's not my favorite. So this is all about Chloe. She's trying to find out why her dad can, can't get a job. So she busts into a Luther Core plant and accidentally inhales a mysterious truth gas. And it feels like it's a scene right out of the 70s Incredible Hulk TV show, which is pretty great. Um, she discovers that she now has powers. It's a truth serum, and she can get the truth from anyone she comes in contact with, leading her to some fairly awkward situations, of course, because it's Chloe. For instance, she finds out that Ma is all worried that all of this pressure between Pa and Jorel will lead Pa to be to not be the man that she married. 
Um, she gets a secret from one of her teachers who is apparently on the run after killing someone. She finds out that Lana doesn't trust her. She finds out that Pete likes her. And she learns from Lex, uh, where Lex says, I want him to love me, meaning Lionel. And we know that, right? We can see it every time Lex looks at the Kents. There's jealousy there. Um, but it may be the first time that Lex is admitting it to himself from his reaction. And then there's others as well. Now, Clark is immune to this power. So Chloe decides to take advantage of this power. And she wants to go after the Kents to find out Clark's secret once and for all. She is awful in this episode. Just awful. Reveling in her, in her abilities, flaunting it, smirking, saying this is every reporter's dream. She really hasn't learned anything from previous episodes where, where this is all going to come back to bite her. And then going after Clark's truth after he's repeatedly repeatedly told her not to, I thought, how is he still friends with her? It's like the writers don't show any reason why they should stay friends outside of just needing her to be a snoop, right? Um, now, of course, the power is going to kill her, so Clark has to find an antidote before she discovers the truth about him or before she dies, and that's a total out for her, by the end of the by the end of the episode, right? Because every kryptonite monster of the week could you could say that the kryptonite the meteor rocks just bring out the worst in them. But this is Chloe, right? Like if this is her worst, she's not she's just not good to begin with, right? Because this is in her. So for instance, when she's in that scene with Lana and Lana says, you know, I don't trust you, Chloe gets all hurt. And I'm like, you wanted the truth. You did this. And then Chloe like storms out as if this wasn't all her fault to begin with. And then there's even a scene later where Chloe is like, why don't people want to be around me? And I'm like, are you serious? Are you serious? And then, of course, Clark saves her by the end of the episode. And he tries to brush it aside by saying that, oh, you know, you just weren't yourself. And I'm like, Ugh, no, she was. This could totally have been a better episode, but it just showcases how awful a character Chloe can be when the writers want her to be and how they like to manipulate her where sometimes she's like right in it and she's using her nosiness or whatever for the good. And then other times where she just is awful, just awful. I mean, I feel like the episode turned around in the last two acts, but it just wasn't enough to save it overall. We get a continuation of Londa, Lana's Wonderlust. Uh, she's looking at a brochure from a school of the arts in Paris. Uh, so she's trying to find out where she fits in. And then there are two other points in this episode that are pretty big. One is Lionel wanting Chloe to find out where does Clark Kent come from, right? So if you put everything together from last episode, from the whole season, from the last two seasons... That's a very direct question. So Lionel has some very intimate knowledge of something. Um, and then you have to add in the fact that he helped the Kents with Clark's adoption after the meteor storm. So yes, everything is pointing to Clark. Everything is pointing to the Kents. And then uh, in this episode, 
Chloe records Lionel admitting to killing his parents. And it's on her voicemail, but then by the end of the episode, Lionel has it erased. Or is it? Episode 19, Memoria. This is also a solid five. Really great episodes uh, in this batch. So Lex is returning to having spells about his traumatic, traumatic childhood. We finally get the backstory to Lex and Lionel. Lex's mother makes her first appearance. And we learn what happened with baby Julian. The way Lex goes about getting this information is he hooks up with Dr. Garner at Summerholt to try to do some experiments that have to do with kryptonite, of course, uh, so that he can get all this information and he can turn his father once and all, once and for all over to the FBI. Now you have to remember this season, Lex really hasn't had a lot to do. It wasn't until Asylum, until they put him into Belle Reve, that I felt like his story kicked off. And, and now he's getting stuff to do here at the back end of the season. But it, in the first half, yeah, there wasn't a lot. There wasn't a lot. So this episode has a lot of flashbacks, some really great flashbacks to Lex's 12th birthday party where nobody came. And Lionel is actually being a father and trying to console Lex. And we get a really good scene there, including the origin of the lead box that uh, Lex gave Clark way back in season one. And then that's the box where Lana's necklace often was because, you know, Lana's necklace is kryptonite, the box is lead, and uh, it was safe and sound in there. Uh, so that box makes an appearance every now and then. So we get that story, really great acting with uh, Jonathan Glover in that. As I said, we get the first physical appearance of Lillian Luthor, and she's not happy. And a lot of the reasoning behind this is because she sees what what um, Lionel is doing to Lex. And she doesn't want that to be done to Julian. So she is not a happy mother. And it all leads to the revelation that it wasn't Lex that killed Julian. It was her his mother. And she um, suffocated the baby in the crib. And Lex knew that if Lionel found out that it was the mother, he probably would have hurt her, maybe killed her. Um, but since Lionel needs an heir, Lex decides, okay, I'm going to say I did it. Because he could hate me, but he can't kill me because he needs an heir, right? So that's where all of this trauma comes from. That's where the hatred for Lex comes from, from Lionel. It all comes from this. It's fairly dark stuff. This is a, a dark episode. It really is. And then in all of this, Clark has to also race the clock because if Lex regains his memories about his childhood, he could also re regain the memory of seeing Clark use his powers in front of him. So Clark gets caught up in the experiment as well. And he has a flashback to the moment of being put into the spaceship by his father and mother before Krypton explodes. So we get the first kind of real look at that. And, um, of course, it's all wrapped up in red, yellow, and blue, all of the colors of Superman. And he screams his mother's name, Lara. And we learn that uh, he learns, for the first time, 
what her name is. It's Lara. So he talks to Martha about it. And he says, I, I guess I, I said Lara, but I don't know why. And then Martha is the one that says, uh, or no, he, he, he says that Lara is his mother's name. But then he says, I don't know why I would forget. Why would I forget that that was her name? And he's kind of upset at himself that he would not remember her name, that he only remembered it now. And then Martha says to him, your first word was Lara. You always remembered her. We just never knew what you meant by it. So it's such a good scene. It is such a good scene. And it's between Clark and Martha, which we don't get a lot of. And this episode really is about mothers and sons. So much of this show is built around, you know, fathers and sons. But this episode is about mothers and sons mothers and sons it is so 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 good um and touching touch even talking about it i was getting choked up um by the way in this episode everybody calls it bell reeve not bell rev but bell reeve uh so i was like oh okay yeah see that's probably where i got it from too so then we get to episode 20 and this is talisman this is a 3, 3.5. It's a return to the caves. It's a return to, you know, the Kawachi tribe and the legend of Naman, which, you know, I'm not in love with. Um, so one of the tribesmen, Jeremiah, steals a knife from the caves and from Lionel, and he's given superpowers similar to Clark's. And it causes him to believe that he is Naman and that Lionel is Sagith. So Clark learns that the, the legends foretold that the knife could kill Naman. So, of course, he has to try to get it. And, I mean, there's a lot more to this episode, which I'll talk about. But um, it's an okay episode. I mean, it's, it, the side stories are really good. But that cave stuff and the legend of Naman, I mean, some of it is, is I don't know. I, I struggle with it. And I also struggle with this episode because... It is the first one directed by John Schneider. And it's, um, you can feel like there's kind of like a stiltedness to the acting. And I almost wondered, was he just a little too heavy-handed with, you know, the staging of certain scenes and didn't let them be their natural selves? Because a lot of the articles that I'm reading, uh, especially between John Glover and Michael Rosenbaum, you know, they... They liked to just run with their scenes and be bold with them and make good choices. And Tom Welling and Michael Rosenbaum often would say to each other, do that again, make it better, you know. And I don't know, there was something kind of cautious in this episode, maybe because it was John Schneider's first directing thing. So maybe the other actors are like, okay, we're, we're just going to do what he says because, you know, we want to support him. But I don't know, it made for an awkward episode every now and then. So this whole legend, there's a, it's a blade, it's called the Star Blade. It's from that miscellaneous Kryptonian that came to Smallville 500 years ago. And it does give the bearer powers. Um, it is the same metal as the key. So Lionel wants it because he wants to make a new key so he can stick it in the wall of the cave and see what happens. And then there's all kinds of stuff between, you know, who is Naman and 
Who is Sagith? Is it Clark? Is it Lex? Is it Lionel? Is it this Jeremiah, etc., etc.? Um, I guess for me, it's because the caves sometimes are about, you know, this whole legend thing and the Kwachi tribe, but sometimes they're just about space and, and Krypton, and it's like, I don't know, they don't mesh well together for me. Now, during all this, Jeremiah manages to stab Clark with the blade, and I was like, wait a minute, Jeremiah has had his powers for one episode, Clark has had his powers for three seasons. How does Jeremiah get to be, you know, more agile and, and get the one up on Clark like that? That's that's not fun and that's not fair. So he is he is stabbed and he's going to die. He's bleeding out. And here comes uh, Ma Kent and Pa Kent. And Pa saves him by putting his hands on him. This intense light comes out and Pa thinks that he's a vessel. He's a vessel for Jor-El, that Jor-El saves Clark. How? Why? No idea. Is this a leftover power that was in, like, sort of like the last remnants of the power that uh, Pa Kent got uh, at the top of this season to, to go, you know, basically manhandle Clark, have the power to manhandle Clark? Is it like a last vestige of power? Like maybe even the last thing that's keeping Jonathan alive and now his mortality really is winding down? Or is it truly what he says and it's just Jor-El funneling power through Pa Kent? Which again, probably doesn't help his heart and doesn't help his health. So, um... It's fairly, it, it just gets to the point of being biblical, you know, when Pa Kent says, you know, I, I think I'm a vessel, but it has everything to do with Jor-El because they have a conversation about it. Uh, and it surprised me because I, again, I didn't remember it and I was like, oh, see, I didn't expect that at all. So that was, that was a, a, a curious section there. Now, of course, uh, when Clark finally um, confronts Jeremiah, and they have a big super brawl. Lex and Lionel are there. The knife falls near them, and they both go to grab it, and it disintegrates. So which one is Sagith? Now, we know what the answer is to that, but it was, uh, you know, it's kind of fun to see. And it also was an interesting duality between, again, Lionel and Pa, where you have Pa saving Clark with his hands, and you have Lionel, or Lex, destroying something with their hands, right? A lot of, lot of duality going on. So this leads to a conversation with Clark and his parents about, about the Luthers, you know? If the legends are true, one of them is going to be his greatest enemy. And, and Martha's like, okay, well then you need to be prepared that it could be Lex. And Clark is just not ready to give over to that notion and I feel like this is the first acknowledgement for Clark of their eventual destiny together. Where Lex always thinks it's going to be, you know, a friendship. And Clark is like, hmm, you know, it, I don't think it's going to be that. And then Lex comes in with his own interpretation and says, what if Sagith is the hero of the story? What if Sagith recognizes that he has to temper Naman's power? Otherwise, Naman will be a tyrant. And I thought, yeah, that's what a Luther thinks, right? They always go, how can Superman have all that power and not want to use it? 
and not be selfish. Well, that's because what the Luthers are, right? So it was a really kind of nice ending because it was like, yeah, of course Lex is going to misinterpret a legend like that. One of the themes in this episode that I really liked is this question of who are you? Lionel says it to Lex. He says, who are you, son? And it was kind of like a, a follow-up to last episode, uh, you know, because their relationship is really strained. And then Lex says it to Lionel because she wants to go to Paris. That means she can't run the Talon. That means Lex has to sell it, right? He doesn't want to. He calls her the best partner he has ever had. And, you know, she's feeling, she's having, you know, second thoughts because she doesn't want to give up the Talon. But he says to her, who are you? Are you the girl that stays or are you the girl that goes to Paris? And even Professor Willowbrook, the elder statesman of the Kawachi tribe, he says to Clark, you are desperate not to be someone you are. It's a good theme. It's a good theme that runs through, and, and I appreciated that. Uh, for the rest of the cast, something is going on with Pete. He, uh, by the end of the episode, you find out his parents are divorcing, and his mother wants to move away. So we'll find out uh, what happens uh, next episode. And Lana is accepted to the art school in Paris, and she has to ask Lex for money. Basically, you know, she wants him to buy out her shares of the talent, as I talked about, or as I as that's the reason why he wants to sell it. But again, it's like Lana pushing to Lex even more. So there's a lot of moving pieces starting with this episode and the next two episodes. So let's get to them. Episode 21, Forsaken. This is a 3.75 to a 4. I think the last two acts are really great. Um, but the main story, not so good. So Emily Dinsmore returns. She's the little clone girl with speed power. She's all grown up. Uh, just as Lana is ready to leave Smallville for Paris. Uh, Emily is a holdover of one of Lionel's many experiments because, you know, he's trying to prolong his life or save himself from the disease. Also in this episode, Clark decides to tell Lana his secret so they can finally be together. Um, and then these FBI agents that Lex is working with, we find out, oops, nope, they're working with Lionel, of course. So Pete Pete gets caught up in it because Lionel thinks that Pete might know something about Clark. And this leads to a big decision in Pete's life. All of the Emily stuff is ultimately just to give the episode some action, some conflict. It's it's ultimately doesn't lead to anything. Really, the theme, again, this idea of who are you, continues in this um, episode. So, for instance, at the end of the episode where Lana comes to Clark because she thinks he's going to tell her, he doesn't tell her. And you can just see in her eyes, she's like, who are you, right? Um, Chloe is always trying to find out that, that answer, answer to that question. Um, the FBI agent, Lionel, Lex, you know, they're all asking who are you, either to each other, to Clark, but really... They're also, in a way, it's almost like, well, then who am I? Because if they find out that answer of who are you, it means something to themselves. And I started to think, okay, 
that could be one of the themes of this entire season. But again, I'll talk about that in a little bit. So I mentioned Pete. This is Pete Ross's, Sam Jones' last episode. Well, for now, but ultimately his last episode. At the top of the episode, Pete and Clark are playing basketball, and Pete is catching Clark up on everything that's going on with his parents divorcing. And they just have some really great conversations. You know, Pete trying to say to Clark, you need to stop this whole yo-yo thing with Lana, which I totally agree with. And also about holding Clark's secret and how that shows that Clark has a lot of trust in Pete and he respects that. Um, I wish the show and the writers respected that and did more with Pete, but they didn't. So as I mentioned, Pete gets kidnapped by one of the FBI agents and he gets beat up pretty badly. So at the end of the episode, he goes to Clark and he says, look, they know. The FBI knows. The Luthers know. You need to do something about this, Clark. And they may not know everything, but they certainly suspect. And it really just comes out that this secret is so big and Pete walks around scared all the time that he's going to spill something. And it's just, it's too big. It's too big for him, and he's going to leave with his mother, and he's going to leave Smallville. And they have a scene, and Pete hugs Clark, and I I teared up. I admit it, I did. And it just really went to show that they really needed to do more of this with Pete, you know? They just didn't use him enough. And, you know... We don't need all the back-and-forth scenes with Clark and Lana, and we don't need, you know, one more scene of Chloe's self-pity. We could have had a few more scenes of Clo- of Pete dealing with the secret and helping Clark and what it means to, to hold this secret. So, farewell, Pete Ross. Uh, I was sad to see him go. And this episode really does bring together, like I said, a lot of things. You know, we got Pete leaving, Lana going to Paris, Chloe and Lex going up against Lionel. It's a lot. It's a lot. So Lionel, as I said, found out about the wiretap from Lex. But of course, you know, loaders involved. We do get a great line from Lex to Lionel. You can't disguise everything you've done to me under the guise of mentorship. And it was like Lex calling Lionel out for three seasons of their relationship, which I loved. By the end of the episode, we find out that the voicemail of Lionel's confession is still around, and he gets arrested, and it is all downhill from here. And then between Clark and Lana, as I said, Clark wanted to tell Lana, but because of the events with Emily, he didn't get a chance. Um, Both Pete and Martha think that This could be for selfish reasons, right? Clark wants to tell her to keep her from going to Paris, but that's selfish. Like, why don't you tell her and let her go to Paris, right? Like, wouldn't that be the better option? So, of course, he doesn't tell her, especially because of his conversation with Pete. He doesn't want someone else to have that burden. But you can just see that that he's holding back, and he thinks he's doing it for the right reasons. And it's like, no, no, Clark, you're not. Once again, this, you should have said said something. Um, and this scene is great because we do not get any music when Lana walks out. I've talked about scenes where 
they really use good pop music at the time for for good subtext and it makes a scene emotional or it makes the end of a episode emotional but in this scene no music she walks out it's just the sounds of her footsteps walking away and that's it it was such a good choice because it, it i mean there's still subtext there right no music means no hope of the future no hidden subtext about what possibly they could have left in their romance right i said it before this show is screaming for lawn uh lois and you know that's what we're gonna get and before we get to the last episode we do have the chloe chronicles volume two as i talked about which aired during these ep- during these episodes and it's just like i said a continuation of chloe trying to find out more about level three and what was going on and it all leads to someone who is trying to use kryptonite monsters of the week from the show to get power. Uh, so, for instance, he's experimenting on Tina Greer and the kryptonite monster of the week that could turn into insects, etc. And then it feeds back into Smallville comic number eight, where we get two stories. One, Exploit by Clint Carpenter, Tom Derenick, Adam DeCracker, Guy Major, and Rob Lay. And that is the uh, continuation of that Chloe Chronicle story, where it's basically, since those webisodes were cheaply made, they let the comic do, like, the high-action stuff. Um, And then you go back to the webisodes, where it all wraps up. And then the second story is Captive, by Clint Carpenter, Renato Guedes, and Nick Napolitano, Napolitano, uh, just a short story about Lex's time at Bell Rave. We get an interview with Annette O'Toole, uh, which was good because you learn some things about how she's feeling like she, her character needs to be used more and how she wants her character to be used in different ways, not just to support her family, but to be a little more proactive. And I can feel that. I can really feel that because when she is used you're like, oh, yeah, see, they usually save certain scenes for Clark and Pa, but then every now and then they'll give it to Martha. So um, apparently, you know, obviously in a few more seasons, she is going to be the only parent, so she'll get her wish. Uh, And then there's just a couple more articles at the end there. So then let's get to Covenant, the final episode of this season number 22, again, a a five. It's a total five. So a mysterious blonde with powers like Clark arrives at the Kent home and says she's there to take Clark to Jor-El. The Kents are suspicious, of course, and then the deal between Pa and Jor-El is finally revealed. Between the deal, Pete leaving, Lana leaving, lies from Lex, Clark almost goes with this stranger until Pa learns the truth, leading to an amazing final sequence to a a season that was, you know, relatively choppy. There is great tension and character in this episode. It is absolutely a must-see for several reasons. Even if the season is a little aimless or a little uneven, it ends well. And um, I can see that this season really was about 
the fathers. It was about Lionel and it was about Pa and Jorel, and especially Lionel because of what he does here at the end. And and is there any wonder why he's one of my favorites in the show, if not the favorite? So 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 good how this ends. Before we get there, though, we got to talk about Supergirl. That's right, we get a Kara from Krypton, played by Adrienne Palicki. She's 20 at this time. She's starting her journey through all of the geek properties, you know, to try to find one that sticks. I mean, she plays a false Kara. She plays Judy Robinson, Nadia, uh, Nadia Wonder Woman. She plays Lady J until she's finally Mockingbird uh, in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., right? Um, but to see and hear that name, Kara, I have to imagine was pretty big at the time. I can't remember what my reaction was. Now, it quickly turns out to not, you realize it's not her because of her actions and because of what happens at the end of the episode. But at the time, it's like, oh, this is cool, right? We know what these mythos are. And you almost have to wonder, did the writers just assume that they would never bring a Supergirl into this? So they're like, okay, yeah, we, we'll just use the name and people will get excited, but we won't actually have a Supergirl. Well, not until later, anyway. Um, we learn what the deal is. The deal is if Jor-El gave Pa the power to bring back Clark from Metropolis at the start of the season, one day Pa would return Clark to Jor-El. And that's a heck of a deal. Clark is not happy with it. And all of this is leading up to, you know, Clark going into himself and and uh, making dumb choices, as he does whenever things close in around him. So we have Kara saying to him, everyone you know will lie, betray, or leave you. So those three words, lie, betray, or leave you. Well, Pete already left. Lana is leaving. You could say that Pa's deal is maybe a little bit of a betrayal. Um, the lie comes from... Lex, there's a really great scene between Lionel and Clark where Lionel gives Clark a key and tells him to go check out a room in the mansion and it's the room that Lex has with all of the things having to do with Clark and, and you know, bullets that they found at scenes and kryptonite and that little squiggly alien from the cave and I thought maybe the Porsche would be in there from the accident but the computer simulation is there. So all of this stuff, Clark is like, I thought you were going to stop investigating this. And Lex is like, it's not about you. It's about me. You know, this, all this stuff happened to me. And Clark just can't, he can't deal with it. And he's like, this friendship is done. In fact, later in the episode, he says, this friendship's over. So there's the lie. And then another betrayal could be that, um, Clark was supposed to take Lana to the airport and forgot, or because of all this stuff, he just didn't do it. So he rushes to the airport and he sees Lex and Lana in an embrace because Lex came to just say goodbye. And um, I that could be like a betrayal, right? Clark might think whether it's from Lex or Lana, um, he he he's hurt by it. And Lana thinks she sees Clark tries to run to him, but of course he super speeds away and she only finds a rose. 
So they're not leaving on the best of terms. So there you go. You got all the leaving and the lying and the betraying. So Clark, being a dummy, just like at the end of season two, he decides to go with Kara to the caves. He's going to go to Jor-El. But Pa bursts in and says, nope, this is all just a, a, a ruse on Jor-El's part. He just found a body that was killed during the meteor storm, and he kept it in waiting to finally use it at some point to get Clark to join Jor-El, maybe because, you know, it's a cute girl and, and there's some romance that could happen there, which is gross. It's like, Jor-El, you're using his cousin's name. That's gross. Um, Jor-El lashes out. He's going to take Clark one way or another, even if that means Pa Kent has to die. And I'm just like, okay, see, this is my point about Jor-El. He is abusive, and he is a maniac, and he's wilding out. And yet, in later seasons, I can remember him saying something like, oh, you know, this was all a test, and yeah, I had to be rough because it was a test to make you Superman. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This is not a test. In fact, there's a bit of dialogue where Jor-El says, come to me, Kal-El. And I thought, yeah, it's it, first of all, it's Terrence Stamp as Jor-El. And he's saying, come to me. And I'm like, yeah, come to me and what? Kneel? Kneel before Jor-El? Right? I mean, this is why I thought it was Zod. This is why I really did. I was like, this is Zod. It's not Jor-El. It's got to be Zod. But it's not. It's Jor-El. Why would Clark ever want to do anything for this maniac? So I don't see how they're going to win me back because I just do not trust this version of Jor-El at all. So let's talk about the ending. Lionel is in jail. He tries to tell Lex about the disease, but Lex isn't buying it. And honestly, given their relationship and everything that happened this season, where someone tried to kill Lex and, you know, Lionel tried to put him away in an asylum, I don't blame Lex. And I realized, oh, right, see, now this is another parallel between Clark and Lionel and Lex and Pa, because in, in many, many ways, Pa had a secret too. You know, Lionel was holding this secret from Lex. Pa was holding a secret from Clark. And uh, it didn't hit me until sort of like the end here. I was like, yep, there's that duality again. So Lex even tried to warn Chloe earlier and says something like, a dying man has little to lose. Who knows what tactics he'll use to avoid going to prison? Well, he's in prison and we get... A dynasty ending. We get a mob movie ending. Lionel's revenge on everybody. Now, firstly, in the caves, Clark does get sucked away by Jor-El, leaving Pa Kent there, uh, you know, possibly dead on the floor. Chloe, because she uh, spoke during the trial, or at least gave information for the trial, she's in protection with her dad, and they walk into a home. And it explodes. And boy, does it, that's a, it's a huge explosion. I don't know if that's like stock footage or they did it specifically for the show, but it is so good. It's such a good moment. We have Lex in his mansion and he's taking a drink and falls to the floor because he's being, I assume, poisoned. And then we have Martha running out of her home because she sees a Kryptonian symbol on the lawn and apparently the symbol is for Crusade, which I think is the title for Season 4, Episode 1. 
and we get Clark uh, all bundled up into what could be like one of those phantom zone prison things from the movie but it's also in the shape of his s shield and jorella saying kal-el my son now you shall be reborn Uh oh yeah great 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 ending find it on youtube uh end of season three finale find it watch it so good so yeah, I think this season is about fathers not more than sons. And I think it's about the the journey for Pa Kent and the journey for Lionel. And, you know, I wrote here because they both kind of suffer from things. Lionel from this liver disease and Pa Kent from his heart attack. It was interesting to note how Pa Kent, even in this in this episode, he's like, you know, don't worry about me, Clark. If he kills me, he kills me. Just don't be a slave to Jor-El, right? Pa Ken is willing to accept his consequences, uh, willing to accept, accept his choices and die. Whereas Lionel is not willing to accept that he's going to die and wants to do everything he can to live. Uh, even if that means going against his own son, right? So there's, again, this duality, this, uh, you know, it's, it's so obvious, right? We've been talking about it for the past two seasons, but it took a while for me to get it for this season. Um, I don't know why. I don't know why. Um, it just wasn't there until it kind of coalesced here with these last six episodes. It still doesn't give me... It's, it's still a choppy season, right? I'm not going to excuse it. Um, um, it's not terrible, even though there are a few clunkers, there's, you know, there's one or two few clunkers in this season. Um, it's just not as thematic as the first two seasons. You know, I really just felt like the overall story for season one, Clark's Clark learning his origins and his destiny. And then season two, which really was about like his destiny. Um, the through line was much, much, much stronger. And this one, not so much, not so much, but still ended really well, really well. So yeah, so now I get to go to season four. I'm, I am continuing the Daily Rios, even though I missed the anniversary target. That's okay. Um, but I'm determined to finish um, because I've gotten this far. And I really don't want to carry this over into 2022 because I would like to attempt to start something new. But I am going to continue. You might get um, a number of episodes on the website as posts per day. And then I'll try to squeeze in, you know, the podcasts as well. And as I mentioned, we are gearing up for uh, season four. And I don't know if you remembered some of the promos for season four, where they had a shot of Clark Kent looking like he was flying. And you had Erica Durancey standing on a, you know, kind of like a farm. And the caption is, it was only a matter of time until dot, 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 Lois. Yay. All right. So now I get to see how this works um you know i remember lois's entrance the first time around i remember 10 years ago when i wrote all these notes initially and now you know finessing all these notes and adding more to my my um overall uh thoughts about the series and i'm seeing so much more of the connectivity now i get to see how this plays out so i'm looking forward to that all right, email peter at thedailyrios.com if you have any comments or leave a comment on the website or on Twitter. 
Uh, this has been the Daily Rios episode 525 for Saturday, October 16th, 2021. Happy 20th anniversary to Smallville. Talk to you soon.